Hello and welcome to Movement, the weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, we interview a leader from within our movement and then ask them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Welcome back to Movement. Last week we had the opportunity to sit down and have a good old chat with Brandon Chaplin and this week we're back with a sermon from him. So before we get into listening to that, Brandon, can you just tell us why did you choose this sermon to share with us? Yeah, well, this is part of a series uh, we did in Jeremiah and uh, it was late in 2020 mm-hmm. and it was preached uh, in an evening service and it's entitled Never Give Up. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I guess it reflects back on Jeremiah's life and some of the tough spots that he was in and how he was treated by the people. Um, And so, yeah, this sermon was a bit reflective on um, my ministry over decades. And so it has some personal stuff in there as I reflected upon the life and ministry of Jeremiah. And I'm sure there are Christian leaders um, pastors, lay leaders who sometimes feel discouraged that things aren't going so great and um, that they might feel like giving up. But um, I guess the point and the the hope out of this message is that we might acknowledge that it's tough, but that we might see God's encouragement and empowerment in those situations. Sounds great. Thanks, Brandon. We'll look forward to listening to it. Jeremiah 15 and verse 15, um, and we are finalising Jeremiah tonight. It's the sixth of six. Tonight's sermon is um, specific. It is specifically for the staff of this church. It is for the leaders of this church at whatever level, whether you're one of our elected leaders, an elder, whether you are a youth leader, a Sunday Funday teacher, Uh, Anyone in leadership, anyone who has a clear ministry or mission, this sermon is for you. That's not for everyone tonight, but if you don't have a clear mission or ministry, you may eavesdrop without any guilt. Listen to my gossip as I stand before you. This message tonight is about never giving up. Because there are times when you might feel like quitting. You say to yourself, I can't do this anymore, I'm done, I quit. You are tired, you're worn out, you're weary and you're frustrated. Now I have felt like quitting. I have been tired of roadblocks, I've been tired of indifference, I've been tired of, re- of rejection, I've been tired of waiting. I've been exhausted by pain and tragedy. I've been tired of being the leader, at times the public face of the good, the bad, or the ugly. Now, my ministry is a dream, a dream compared to Jeremiah's. And I've had wonderful people in my corner for decades, people like my wife Linda, people like Sam Thompson, people like Ray Frost. But I have wanted to give up. And as I look at Jeremiah, I am in good company. Now, Jeremiah, as we've been looking at the past six weeks, began his prophetic ministry about 40 years before the fall of Jerusalem. And please understand that it was during this time that the people of God were completely selfish, self-absorbed, 
living totally idolatrous lives. And Jeremiah emerges in this context as the prophet. And it was his ministry and mission, the toughest of all, to bring the message to God's people that they needed to repent. But there were so many reasons for Jeremiah to give up and to throw in the towel. Reason one, the people. The people. Now, you would hope that the kingdom to which Jeremiah speaks, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, had learned from watching the sister kingdom uh, to the north, Israel, that they would heed God's word. But no, they did not. And they too turned away from God and they worshipped idols. They worshipped false idols and committed immorality on every hill in Jerusalem. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters to the flames of pagan idols. The people of Judah got to the point where they actually pretended to come back to God. They came to the services, they sang the songs, they lifted their hands, but it was all fake. In Jeremiah chapter 7, it says, Do you really think you can still murder, commit adultery, lie and worship Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to all those evils again? It's the people, one of the reasons why Jeremiah may have wanted to give up. Second reason, the mission, the mission that Jeremiah was called to. Jeremiah had a tough mission to preach a message that wasn't fun and the truth is that no one wanted to hear it. Now God was angry at the nation of Judah and that their only hope was to surrender to their enemy, the Babylonians. If they did this, things would go reasonably well, but if they didn't, things would be terrible. Their city, their temple would be burned to the ground. And many people would die from the sword and from famine. And, as you may already have guessed, this message wore Jeremiah out. Jeremiah 23 and verse 9, it says, My heart is broken and I tremble uncontrollably. I stagger like a drunkard, like someone overcome by wine because of the holy words the Lord has spoken against them. Being the prophet of doom and gloom, being the prophet of death and destruction was enough to make Jeremiah want to quit. Reason three, rejection. Jeremiah preached his heart out for 40 years, 40 years, and no one listened. He made no impact, he changed no lives, he could claim no converts, he could claim no decisions, he could claim no commitments, he could claim that no one came forward for prayer. In Jeremiah chapter 6, it says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. We will not listen. Rejection can be enough for someone, even the strongest person, to quit. Reason four, loneliness. If there was a ever a man who needed a sympathetic spouse, it was surely this prophet. Yet God ordered Jeremiah not to marry. 
chapter 16 and verse 2. You see, his lifestyle must match his message. And for Jeremiah to marry and have children would have been inconsistent with his announcement that Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Babylonians. And for this very same reason, Jeremiah was not even allowed to attend parties or social gatherings because there was nothing to celebrate. For 40 plus years, Jeremiah was all alone, preaching a message no one wanted to hear to a people who would not listen. This was a man who experienced deep, deep loneliness. And then there are the hardships. If there wasn't bad enough, these other four things, reason five, let's throw in some abuse, some hardships in this boiling pot of discouragement. I have a list before you. Men from his hometown plotted against him. He was put on trial for his life. His first draft of God's word was burned by the king. He was flogged and put in public stocks for people to mock. He was attacked by false prophets who spoke another message. He was arrested and accused of treason. He was dragged from his prison cell, lowered by ropes into an empty well in the prison yard. There was no water in it, but there was a thick layer of mud and Jeremiah sunk deep down into it. See, Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet. Chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, I would weep day and night. Jeremiah had many reasons for quitting. The people, the mission, the rejection, the loneliness, the hardships. And so here in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 15, which I asked you to have before you, we see these words from Jeremiah. You understand, O Lord, remember me and care for me, avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had me filled with indignation. Why, my pain, why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Will you be to me like a deceptive brook? like a spring that never fails. Essentially what Jeremiah is saying here in this passage is that God, you led me down this road. I am always alone. And you were never there for me. You deceived me. Now as we have discovered through these last six weeks, Jeremiah is a book that has so many autobiographical passages. It has these autobiographical flourishes. And we see that with some of the writers of the Bible, not all of them, but we do see some of them. And we're grateful for those autobiographical flourishes. In the, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, at time, from time to time, will tell us a little bit about his experiences. It should be on the screen in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he says to the, to the fellow believers in Corinth, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 
From the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I thought that I might give an autobiographical flourish myself. And for the young and up and coming preachers that we'll hear from over the next three months, when you get a passage like this, it avails you of the opportunity. But of course, it is always a challenge to know when to say and how much to say that is personal. That is why James writes in chapter 3 and verse 1 that not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It is a tricky ministry to preach the word and to speak of one's own faith. But my experience is not unique in any way. My experience would be certainly common among the pastors I know. The first bit of advice that I got when I was planning to enter into pastoral ministry from a key mentor and going to Bible college was not about giving, not giving up. It was about not starting. Yeah, I was told that uh, don't pursue pastoring because you're not up to it. You don't have the gifts, the talents or the temperament for pastoral ministry. Now, clearly I ignored that. But was later advised from the same mouth that I could never lead a church because I had a poor understanding of systematic theology, was not proficient in financial management, lacked knowledge in aspects of politics and economics and generally couldn't hack the pace. Now, obviously the church ignored that to which I'm ever grateful, and I'm glad I never gave up. But since those days, I have been threatened, bullied, and harassed. At times, I have felt disrespected and dismissed. Plenty of times, I have been frustrated. I've had to face a code of conduct charge with the denomination over completely false allegations in regards to a phone call where I told someone the truth. I've been defamed by former staff, by former parishioners, by complete strangers. I have had unfair and untrue things written about me in emails and blogs that have been widely circulated. I have had people sit in the pew for 12 months and not look at me and snub me. I have been called to meetings where my decision-making and my behaviours have been put into question. I have been yelled at. I have been torn to shreds verbally on a few occasions and on matters like all of these All you can do is shut up and cop it. I've had people whom I loved and liked tell me that they were leaving the church and it's broken my heart. I've had people whom I've loved and liked leave the church and not tell me and it's broken my heart. I've felt the burden of a $2 million building project. As I've aged, I've had people tell me effectively in footy parlance, you're too old, too slow, or in that famous cricket controversy, 
being a cricket tragic, initially attributed to, Jane, uh, to Shane Warne about a teammate, but actually later ascribed to Joe the cameraman, you can't bowl, you can't throw. I've walked into the houses of parents and grandparents just minutes after the discovery of their loved one taking their own life. I have hugged inconsolable people after their youngish spouse has just literally dropped dead. I have walked in on scenes of utter despair with hysterical people in which I am meant to bring comfort. A drowned boy in a family pond and a young man who fell from a tree are two that come to mind. I have held the hands of dying people who are just skin and bones. In my days as a youth leader, I led Bible studies with young male teenagers and mentored young men. And I put a lot of time and did a lot of life with these people into adulthood. Two spring to mind that are particularly tragic. One whose life that was taken at the hands of another man, the perpetrator now serves life in jail, and the other who took his own life just a few years ago. The latter's father had a heart attack and died watching a Sturt match when he was a boy. And his mother, who was a legend of our church, who never forgot my birthday, I buried her in 2017 and him the year later. I have led or spoken at funerals of 500 plus, of 800 plus, of 1,000 plus, of 2,000 plus, of 2,500 plus. All of those funerals were people, were people I knew well and their families well. All of those funerals were of people who died well before their time. Some of them were members and key people of this church. Some were dear friends and figures in my life who I still dearly miss to this day. Some of them were household names. On Sunday the 25th of July 2004, people sat in shock and despair and deep grief through three church services as we grappled with the completely unexpected death the evening before of the much-adored Peter Sullivan. That was a tough day to be a preacher or a pastor. I've been to cemeteries where I've held the coffins of small babies. And I have stood over lowering coffins with hundreds of people gathered around and thrown dirt on those coffins, saying the sacred words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. At times it has been hard. At times the burden is great. At times I have felt completely alone. I have wanted to give up. Now Sam Thompson, with whom I am most transparent and honest, aside from Linda, says I appear supervious to these things. That means unaffected. I learned a word from Sam. I had to look it up in the dictionary. Even Sam cannot always read my poker face. Well, why haven't I quit? Well, the same reason Jeremiah didn't quit. Reason one, he had a purpose to live for. 
In the purpose-driven life, Rick Warren says, nothing matters more than knowing God's purpose for your life. And nothing can compensate for not knowing them. Not success, wealth, fame or pleasure. Without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, events without reason. I love those phrases. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty and pointless. When we began this series with the first sermon, we looked in chapter 1 where those words come to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. He knew his purpose. He knew his purpose to speak God's word. In chapter 20, it says, I will forget the Lord, I will not speak any more in his name, but then his message becomes like a burning fire inside me. Deep within my bones, I get tired of holding it inside of me and finally I cannot hold it in. See, Jeremiah had a purpose and he knew he had to live it out. Reason two, Jeremiah had a hope to anchor to. Jeremiah knew that battles, war, death, famine, sin, destruction were not God's ultimate plan for his people. And so we return to where we began in week one, the famous text that I was saying that's lovely quoted on a, on a, on a park bench with autumn leaves, but it's actually about God's people. It's a promise to the community of God's people where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I'll bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. God does not punish us or allow bad things to happen to us in order to pay us back, but to bring us back. Reason three. Jeremiah had a mighty God to trust in. And so back to the passage of chapter 15 and now verses 20 and 21. I will make a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you but will not overcome you for I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. No matter what God would sustain Jeremiah. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So for me, has it all been worth it? Well, completely it has been. Yes, there's been plenty of fun moments. There have been grand moments back in... Three decades ago, I did a kids' talk in front of 7,000 kids and their parents at the entertainment centre. 
A few years after that, I got to do a public prayer with 10,000 people. I've been part of this church purchasing and renovating this facility and planting two churches. I was once flown from Broome to Sydney and back to perform a wedding between a Wimbledon champion and a TV soap star at the Sydney Opera House with the who's who of Australian tennis and screen in attendance while four helicopters filmed it all overhead. I've become a life member of the Port Adelaide Football Club for my chaplaincy. I was one of only four eulogies at the memorial of Philip Walsh. I got to travel to Ethiopia and Nepal as a guest of World Vision and Baptist World Aid. And there are other moments, but that's not what it's been about. That is the bling, the bling among the day-to-day, the week-to-week, the year-to-year service and leadership of our Christian community. And this is my privilege and honour, and I delight in it and you all. So folks, don't give up your mission and your ministry. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Jeremiah And a prophet he was two and a half thousand years ago. Maybe had the toughest mission of all, except for, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can learn from that faithful man of God. We thank you that you were able to strengthen him. And we thank you for the example of his faith. We thank you in these days we have the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are equipped with everything that we need, that we're called into community and to walk together as we seek to bring your word, your truth to this needy and hurting world. Use our gifts and talents as we work together for your glorious purposes. Amen. Thanks for listening to Movement Today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe, and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Season two of Movement is hosted and produced by the team at Baptist Churches of SA. We'll be back next week with another special guest.